BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you fart... the air gets sucked back up your ass. another edition of the starting 502 podcast as always i'm your host with the most presley meyer you can find me at press meyer on twitter jacob lane jacob you jacob lane 08 is that right that's right man good memory. Okay, that was a good memory i was about to say because you switched it around a little bit over the years jacob lane uh joins us uh for kind of our summer editions as well jacob how are we doing man it's it's been a second it's it's going well. We're uh, a house that is recovering from COVID. So four members of the house went four for four on the COVID train. Uh, so we are on the, I think, day 14 of that train now. And so we're uh, exiting at our destination, which is being healthy and being able to enter the world again. So I'm excited to go out tomorrow to, to Target or like to Walmart. I don't know where I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm also unemployed for just a couple of weeks as I've kind of transitioned jobs. So, you know, it's I have a, a lazy river of a life the next couple of weeks. We'll see where life takes me. You've had such a weird, like, what a what a July. Like, you've just spent, like, July, like, back in 2020 again, just, like, in the middle of COVID. And then now you're just, like, <laughs> That's right. you're free and you don't have anywhere to go. Like, you don't have to go to work or anything. You're just, you're just chilling. Um, but, no, the, tonight we're excited because this is one of the – one of, one, of, one of the most anticipated guests in podcast history and not 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 for anything other than this is just one of the nicer dudes that you're ever going to come across 
and probably one of the more passionate college basketball fans ever listened to, Jack Grossman from ESPN 680-939. Welcome to the Starting 502 Podcast. Thanks for having me on. I hope I am not disappointing now. I feel like I've been hyped up a little bit too much, but but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be on and uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. So for, for those of you who don't tune in to the podcast frequently, uh, Jacob and I are, are huge fans of the Take with Andy Sweeney because we like to rivalry. Uh, we like to have a good time and not take too, things too seriously, kind of throw some jabs uh, on, on the internet and all that sort of stuff. And Jack is the producer for that show. So if you're not familiar, av- an avid college basketball fan, avid Indiana Hoosiers fan, and and he probably knows more about college basketball uh, than 99.9% of the world and less about everything else in the entire world yep. than 99.9% <laughs> of people in the world. So, so it's a, a, a perfect guest to have on. If you listen to our episode with Jeff Greer, uh, we picked his brain about Jack as well because they do, they do a little uh, a podcast together for the Field of 68. Uh, but Jack, uh, the, the main reason we're having you on tonight, man, is because we want to talk some Louisville basketball. Uh, you're a guy who is who uh, raised in Louisville. You've been around the area for a while. Um, and obviously, you get to talk about Louisville every single day. Uh, on your all shows, multiple shows, but especially on, on the take. And and so we're excited to kind of pick your brain about that. Uh, and, and obviously the main thing, the main talking point to me, at least right now in the off season, is Louisville basketball is kind of, I wouldn't say loaded up front, but they are definitely front heavy, right? Like they have yeah. lots of threes, fours, and fives on, on this roster. Uh, and then you look at, at, at the, the guard spot and it's, it's no slight to L. Ellis. I think people have taken it that way a little bit, but you know, he's pretty much the only true ball handler on this roster. Uh, to, to you, how big of a deal is that? Maybe scale of one to 10, how big of a deal is that? And, and can Louisville have a successful season without adding anybody else to this roster? Well, it's interesting. I, I don't want to go out and just say 10 and that it's everything, but it is a really big number if I'm choosing between one and 10. Again, that's not a slight to L. Ellis. I, I think, you know, it, it, it is interesting how we've gone from at the beginning of the offseason of is L. Ellis a point guard? Is he a shooting guard now? Well, he's the only ball handler. Yes, he's the point guard. And so so I, I do think L can have a really good year. I think he'd be a really good player. I don't think, you know, we can just pencil him in first team all ACC or anything like that. He still does have to prove, can he be a facilitator? Can he run an offense, do things like that? But he's by far the best option on the team. It's not even close. But... But for me, it's just difficult to say that they can have a successful season without more quality guards and more guys that can handle the ball. And again, I'm not trying, I, I, I don't want this to just feel like I'm knocking L. Ellis or sliding L. Ellis because I think he can be a really good player. But when you only have one guy that's going to run an offense that can handle the ball, and I get it Devin Reed, Kamari Lands, Mike James, they may be able to dribble a basketball. That's not what I'm saying. But to actually so. run and facilitate an offense. Yeah, you're a college basketball player. I would hope you can dribble a basketball. I mean, hell, even, even I can dribble a basketball. That That's, you know, I'm nothing when it comes to that. But don't, don't put yourself yeah. down so much. Good on you, man. <laughs> yeah, yes, dribble a basketball. But but when you look at Louisville, it's you almost have to handicap them on how you evaluate them just because you know you're not going to get a lot of guard play. Especially with college basketball in 2022 in the modern era, you need guards, you need ball handling, you need playmaking, and you need shooting. And you look at Louisville and you're like, okay, who's giving you those three things? You need to have have various guys. You can't just have one dude. You need to have two, three, four, five. You can never have enough. It, it's almost like a bullpen arm in baseball. 
Like, you can never have enough bullpen arms. In college basketball, you can never have enough guards. You can never have enough shooting. And Louisville is incredibly, incredibly thin to almost nothing on both, other than, again, how else. And we'll have to see how, again, Lands, Ree, uh, Mike James, James can shoot the ball. Can Jalen Weathers improve from behind the arc, which is something that people don't want to see him shooting jump shots after – what happened last year? Does Braden Huntley Hatfield come in and can he be a threat from the outside? Because let's face it, the entire offense is going to be how do we create and navigate enough space for Sidney Curry to do work in the post? And right. that's going to be the entire offense. But if Al Ellis is the only guy that can beat someone off the dribble and you don't have more than one, maybe two guys that can hit an outside jump shot, there's nothing stopping opposing teams from doubling Sidney Curry and basically having it look like, you know, a Chris. Almost what a Chris Mack offense, everyone focusing on Chris Jones, David Johnson from a couple years ago, or I'll use an Indiana example, what Indiana looked like under Archie Miller with, with trying to get Trace Jackson Davis or Johan Morgan back in the day. Yes. They open. If you don't have guys that create their own shot, don't have guys in, that can shoot the ball, defenses are just going to shrink the floor, double team the post, and it doesn't matter how good you are, are in the post. It doesn't matter how good Sidney Curry is. If you don't have anyone that can open things up for him, you're not going to be any good offensively. If you're not going to be any good offensively, you're not going to be good enough to win because this isn't a Rick Pitino type team where they're going to one, have the depth to press or two, run a scheme where they're going to press and force 18, 20 turnovers a game and just live with that being their entire offense. They're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to want to do that. So you're going to have to find ways to execute offensively in the half court. You can't do that if, L. Ellis is, is the only ball handler, and you don't have shooting. Regardless of what they what they end up looking like and how they end up playing, I think there's a couple of things we can say for certain about what they will be, right? They'll be a team that wants to get out and transition and run, knowing that they just got dudes, right? Pick up basketball. The philosophy there is just get your guys and go, right? Everybody attack right. the rim. You'll cut. You'll find guys, whatever, right? And then we know because of their length and size, guys are going to be somewhere between 6'5 to 6'11 when you kind of exclude L. Ellis. They're going to be able to defensively get after it. They're going to have a lot of length. Rick Patino would be probably extremely jealous of what the deflections <laughs> might look like on a team like this uh, if he was the head coach uh, because of the fact that they're going to be long. you got a guy like Kamari Lance who's 6'8 maybe playing shooting guard in some lineups. So I think we know that for certain about them, but what I don't think they can do is outscore a ton of teams. This is what's going to be the problem for Louisville is where, where the points come from. And I, I kind of set all of that up to go back to the offseason and you look at the roster construction. I think you have to scratch your head if you're a college basketball fan and you see teams load up on the portal, right? And whatever your stance is, the portal, whether it's good or bad, uh, regardless, it's good to see your team being able to add pieces and being an attractive destination for transfers in college basketball. Louisville didn't really do that, right? They bring in um, they bring in the kid from Tennessee who I'm going to call Hatley Huntfield. Wait, is it Huntley? I can't do it. It is I just Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Hatley Huntfield, Huntley Hatfield. I'm never going to get it right all year long. BHH. That's right. That's right. So they bring him in and, you know, you've got at least him going with Kamari Lance, who is a holdover from the Chris Mack recruiting era. And then you bring in Devin Ree, who has been supposedly labeled as one of the top shooters in the nation as a recruit. But what was, in your opinion, the best thing that they did this offseason out of all of those moves or maybe not making any moves? What did you look at and you say, OK, I see them getting better overall because of this being you know, done by the coaching staff or being added to the roster, whatever the case is? I'd say the first thing, just kind of reacting to something else you said there, Jacob, is just trying to run in transition and score in transition and 
you can only do that so much if you're only playing one point guard. I mean, that's the issue Louisville ran into with the Chris Jones, David Johnson team a couple of years ago was, okay, we got two guards. We want to run. We know we can't really score the half court, but we can't exhaust these two dudes either. So how they balance that well, with L. Ellis is going to be really interesting, to say the least, and, and will be crucial because if they could somehow pull that off, that would be huge for them to be able to do. As far as the best thing, I would say – Getting getting Sidney Curry and L. Ellis back would, would probably yeah. be the biggest thing just because if you didn't have those two guys back, it was going to be – it could be a long year, not what Louisville fans are used to seeing anyways in year one, but at least you can talk yourself into scenarios of everything going right with L. Ellis and Sidney Curry back. Without those two guys – Man, I don't know what you'd be saying it at that point. It would be, unfortunately, it would be a tough uh, situation that we luckily aren't going to be in because, because if nothing else, you do have those two guys you can lead on and say, okay, these should be pretty good players that that can be two of the better players in the ACC and can keep you competitive more often than not just on the transfer portal, which I think it's it's good for college basketball. I don't see why anyone should have issues with players being able to go where they want, but but. It was a tough situation for Kenny Payne from the standpoint of, and I've said this on the take take uh, before as well, but just the fact that you look at the transfer portal class and you almost have to treat it like a high school class, as in there's really good high school classes, there's really bad high school classes. This was a really, really bad transfer portal class. And this was nothing like the class we saw in the summer of 2021 where you could go and you get impact players and there were dozens of them lying around. There were really good high impact players in college basketball. There weren't that this time, especially at the garbage. You just look at the guards and yeah, Tyree Hunter's an absolute stud. And he was the guy that I looked at and said, okay, if I'm going to move my goalpost for Louisville basketball and expectations for year one under Kenny Payne, and, and they're going to be able to do that. Tyree Hunter was maybe the only guy that they could have added that, that said to me, okay, he's good enough to where I got to re- reevaluate what I think about this team going into year one. They didn't get him. That'll happen. I mean, he ends up at Texas. NIL, we can talk about that. And, what, and does Kenny Payne have NIL issues and all those things? But, but Tyree Hunter ends up at Texas. That's fine. You're going to lose guys to Texas and Chris Beard. That, that, that'll happen. Malachi Smith. Really good player out of Chattanooga. He ends up at Gonzaga. Nigel Pack ends up at Miami. You get beyond those three guys, and you have the whole Amani Bates saga, which did Louisville want him, did Louisville not want him? I don't know. I don't know if you guys know, but I sure as hell don't know. But I'll put it this way. When he ends up at Eastern Michigan and not a Blue Blood, not a Louisville, not a Carolina, not a Kentucky, not a Michigan or a Michigan State, he probably wasn't going to be the difference maker that you wanted. Now, would I have taken the risk on Imani Bates, knowing all the other issues Louisville has? Probably, because I figure this guy may be, be you know, a quote-unquote bad locker room guy. He may bring issues or whatever. But best-case scenario is you have him for a year. He blows up. You make the NCAA tournament. He goes off to the NBA draft. Worst-case scenario, he quits halfway through the year or he transfers again or go to the draft anyways, and you're done with him after a year. And you can just say, ah, well, that didn't work. Let's bring in a – really good recruiting class and and start from uh, here because there, I feel like it just would have been a risk worth taking. But other than those guys though, there weren't game changing guards to be had in the transfer portal. So for Kenny Payne to be in a situation where, where, Hey, I'm taking over a team. I have nine scholarship players. I need ball handlers. Okay, what? Where are my options to get ball handlers? Oh, there's this nice, cool transfer portal. I can get guys that are playing college basketball anymore. Oh wait, 
no one's any good. That's here. Here, it, 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 it put Kenny Payne in a really tough situation to where, or it's almost like a supply and demand thing. The demand was so high for those top three, four, if you want to include include Bates on there, that it was always going to be really tough for anyone to get one of those guys. Yeah, and I think now you're looking at kind of moving. You talked about moving the goalposts maybe a little bit further in the positive direction for Louisville if they were to land maybe one of those top-tier guards, right? And now I think that you're just trying to avoid moving the goalposts too far in the other direction uh, by just trying to land someone. Yeah. I know that, that Ty Spaulding uh, from Rivals kind of hinted tonight on Louisville Sports Live that that he's hearing that that this, the sanctions from, from the IARP could just be that they're taking away a lot of scholarships. And maybe Louisville's kind of caught wind of this. They're trying to, to kind of hold back some scholarships. They don't want to put guys on scholarship that they're not going to be able to offer. And they want to go ahead and burn those in year one. Uh, with that being said, though, I, I don't think at the University of Louisville that you ever want to have something that you would consider a throwaway year. And that, that, that's been my biggest kind of, kind of failure in the offseason. I don't even know if I want to call it a failure, but my biggest qualm with the way that the, that the offseason was handled was we know for a fact based on multiple sources that, that Louisville was in on a number of, of high-level graduate transfers. And we know that Louisville has explored a bunch of different options at the guard position, whether they backed off, whether the relationship wasn't right. I don't know exactly what the situation was, but clearly, you know, they, they went in and, and tried to grab some guards, and now they have none. So it can't be a situation where you, you can just say, well, Louisville thinks that they're fine without X, X Y, and Z. Uh, it still seems like they're still trying to figure out a situation with Fabio Basili, which is better than nothing. You know, he's, he's a body at least. And I think that's kind of the direction that you're moving the goalposts now is more towards the negative side of things where you're like, okay, our options are either we're going to have to play walk-ons. Like they're going to have to play walk-ons. Like at some point, like knock on wood, LL is, is going to, you know, tweak something. He's not going to be able to play 40 minutes every single game. He's going to get into foul trouble. Like I guarantee you if LL is your only option as a ball handler, he's going to go into Lexington this year and they're immediately going to get 2000 in immediately. And the fans, there's going to be a huge outcry on Twitter or whatever, but like, that's what's going to happen. If you're, if you're Cal in Kentucky, that's what you should do. You yeah. should try to run the ball straight at LLS with your five-star guards every single time down the court. And he's probably going to get some fouls caught on him. So like th there are situations that you're going to get into, you know, I, I understand that fans want to kind of have that perspective of, well, let's let Kenny Payne and the new coaching staff kind of have their year and, and you know, get a year under their belt and, and trust the process and all that. But look, as a fan, like purely from a fan perspective, I don't like to hear that. Like I want to see that Louisville is going to come in at least compete, especially at com coming off a 13 and 19 season, especially after missing the tournament the year before and then the COVID year. Like it's been a while since we've seen success around Louisville. And I know it's Kenny Payne year one. Uh, but but I want to see some sort of successful product on the floor. I don't know what that necessarily means, but right now I don't like the the, the direction that the goalpost is moving. Like I'll say this: it's because I understand where you're coming from, and Louisville as a program that's one of you know the six seven best programs of all time. We aren't used to this around here. We aren't. I mean, heck, I grew up up, and really the first year I remember was the Reese Gaines year, 2002-2003, that, you know, kind of had me fall in love with basketball that season, that team, but but if you if you take 2005 to 2015, I'm 24 years old, so my generation, from the, those 10 years, Louisville made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament seven times in that decade. It was just a given. It was! It was just an absolute given over those 10 years that, ah, 
Sweet 16, Elite Eight, yeah, whatever. That's fine. We, we didn't really understand how hard it was to actually get there. We, you just came to expect it. And going back to the Denny Crum years, with how much success Louisville had under Denny Crum as well, you basically have two, three, four generations of people just expecting the highest of of uh, you know success. As you know, that's what happens when you're a really, really good basketball program for four or five decades. But in any other time, I'd fully agree with you because that's like, look, it's Louisville basketball. You're better than this. At the very least, you should be one of the 68 best damn teams in the country. And nothing else, just be in the NCAA tournament. You can do that, whatever. It, fine. Be, be in the damn first four. Be an 11 seed. It doesn't matter. As long as you're in the tournament, you're one, you'll be happy. Get in, man. But, but what makes it so difficult is, and, and I don't like if I – like junior year high school, Jack would be punching myself in the face for saying this right now, but that's just, you know, the situation that Louisville's in now when you have all the issues with Katina Powell, the IRP, I get it. Everyone's so sick of hearing about all of it, but you have all that hanging over your head. You have the fact that the transfer portal was terrible. You have the fact that Chris Mack didn't exactly leave a whole lot in terms of uh, a roster for Kenny Bain to take over. If there was ever a time to say, hey, we get it. This isn't where we want to be long term, but for one year, it sucks. And, and, and I almost want to puke saying it, but but it, I, I think it's just not fair to expect this team to make an NCAA tournament. That's not that's not that's doing an injustice to Kenny Payne and the program, the job he's trying to do of expecting too much too soon. Now, if he goes in there signs a DJ Wagner, even if he doesn't sign DJ Wagner, signs a top five, 10 recruiting class for next year. You get the uh, IRP issues out of the way. You don't have to worry about anymore. That cloud's finally gone next year. Yeah. You can, you can go, go ahead and start doing the normal Louisville fan thing that we do around here. I mean, Hey, people wanted to fire Chris Mack two weeks after they were number one in the country a few years ago. You know, and, and while they were ultimately proven right with what happened, uh, the Carly Jones, uh, David Johnson year, and then this past year, at the time, that was absolutely idiotic to think about. <laughs> uh, right. But, but I mean, like, that's what Louisville fans are. Louisville fans, Kentucky fans, they're so passionate, and that fire burns so brightly. If they don't win, they're so not used to winning that they get incredibly pissed off incredibly quickly. And you know what? They've won enough to where you deserve the right to be angry. Most, almost all the time. This would be the rare example where I would say though, you got to understand the situation that Louisville's in. You got to understand the situation Kenny Payne's in and say, can you have the goal of making the NCAA tournament? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a very fair thing to say. Say I want as a realistic, well, semi-realistic the goal for the season for me is I want my team in the NCAA tournament but if you're looking at what should I expect from this team I would not expect them to be in the NCAA tournament maybe they prove us all wrong maybe they ball out and that would be a lot more fun for everyone around here if they did but for me right now looking at the roster with the nine guys the 10 if you end up getting Fabio Basile I just don't think it's fair to Kenny Payne the staff and the players just to to basically you know crucify them if they don't make the NCAA tournament the way that people rightfully did it when they didn't make the NCAA tournament a couple years ago with the Carly Jones, David Johnson team. It's, it's been a, a, an interesting off season, obviously for the number of different reasons you bring in Kenny Payne, you, you have roster turnover, but I, I, I do feel like, and I'm going to probably get 
some flack for this and and this isn't my show so i can i can say these things and not feel the pressure <laughs> but it's dis- it was a disappointing offseason because i feel like from my perspective you bring back a team of a core nucleus of guys of of uh, LLS, sydney curry jalen withers jj trainer uh, mike james that is that's a competitive group in the acc Right. And then from there, it's about how you build around that group. And that's what in year one. Look, I know Chris Mack's team lost to Minnesota. Quan four had no business playing in the ACC, whatever it is. But Chris Mack put a team together around a group of guys that he recruited to come back. Right. It's exactly what Kenny Payne had the situation to do here. And he just wasn't able to do it. Now, whatever the reasons are, we'll never know. Right. And it's because of the quietness of the program. Who are they really recruiting? What are they doing? But I felt like they missed an opportunity this year to be competitive and be a fringe NCAA tournament team. Now we're talking about potentially going full sale Oklahoma City Thunder here. And let's just start signing random dudes off the street and just figure out if they have any talent. Just maybe we'll get a value contract out of that, and we'll be able to put some guys on the floor who you get you get surprised with. But I feel like for this year for Louisville, there's no chance at being competitive in the ACC. I don't see a makeup of a college basketball team here, and you can argue with whoever you want on that. I just don't see it. This isn't what a winning college basketball team looks like, Jack. And you're a college basketball guy, so you should be able to to, to kind of speak on that. Which I'm going to kind of pass that over to you because of the next point is, so then what? Right. This year, it's learning a scheme. It's learning an offense. What are the expectations? Just maybe 500 in the ACC. And so it kind of leads the question of this is going to be a bunch of guys who are just a, a gaggle of, of guys. Right. We'll just call them a gaggle for this for this purpose. They're just out there. Right. We have no real puzzle trying to be put together. No real pieces to the pie. We just got a bunch of dudes who are going to be good basketball players. And so. <laughs> Is this positionless basketball thing, is it possible in college basketball, right? Because we're still talking about Luca Garza as being dominant in college basketball in 2022. And then you look at the NBA and you're like, yeah, that guy, you know, obviously he's still kind of hanging around. But guys like that don't play traditionally at the next level. And so Kenny's bringing in this system that's like the Knicks where they got Julius Randle bringing the ball up and Alex Burks playing pick and roll, who's a two-way, you know, who's a two-way uh, three or uh, two. So and the, I guess the long-winded question is here, what is this going to look like and how do they make it work to where they're at least competitive? Because no one wants to watch them just get blown off the floor. You know, no one wants that. Right. I don't think they're just getting blown out every game like we saw at times last year, because if nothing else, unlike a season ago, you're going to get actual coaching from an actual coaching staff. You're going to get max effort. You're going to get, you know, all the culture things that Kenny Payne talks about. Like there will be improvement have to imagine that it can't be just a repeat of what it was last year. I don't, I don't imagine how it could be the same, you know, what were they 13 and 19, 12, 12 and 19, something like that. I don't think it'll be that bad. I, I do think that there'll be, you know, maybe a game or two under 500, they'll hover around 500, but, but I, I don't think it'll be as bad as it was last year from, if you're, if you're looking at the roster, it's, from talking about from your first point about Kenny Payne, the offseason kind of being disappointed, one of the things I looked at when he got hired and people were throwing all the expectations out there and all the hype, I'm like, okay, I think that's fine. You can have all that that going into um, uh, the long term at Kenny Payne. But I, I always went back to, look, I don't know if he's going to be able to flip any high school commits this late in the process when he had been in the NBA. Devin Ree, obviously, he was able to pull. How, what's the transfer? At that point, we didn't really know what the transfer portal class was going to look at. Look like we never could have imagined it was going to be as bad and as small as it as it ended up being. So where I, I feel, I just feel like Kenny Payne was just dealt such a tough hand on so many levels for just this upcoming year 
to where I'm giving him a more of a pass than I ever thought I would under a, for a Louisville basketball first year head coach coach. But you're looking at positionless basketball, how to be competitive that time, that, that type of way. I think there's two different ways you can play positionless basketball. There's, you know, the offensive way, which you look at a Villanova under Jay Wright, where you're playing a five out motion offense. You have Jalen Brunson, Gong Gillespie guards posting up a la Denny crumb that, that type of style, and, and you can say, yeah, that's very much positionless basketball. You have everyone on the floor can shoot, everyone on the floor can post up, everyone on the floor can handle the ball. But when you look at Louisville, I, I think Duke would be another example. That they've had some years under uh, Coach K recently where they've been kind of like that as well. But if you're looking at Louisville, you're looking more defensively positionalist is what you're looking at. You're looking at, okay, four guys, if L else isn't on the court, five guys – that you're going to want to try to switch everything. And that's something that Florida state has done exceptionally well. That's something that Calipari's best teams at Kentucky have always done. That's something that Arkansas's done under Eric Musselman. That's something that Nate Oates has done at Alabama. That, that that's definitely a style that can be played and can be a very effective style to play because if, and there's question marks with that, obviously can't Sidney Curry stay with guards. Because you're going to switch Sidney Curry onto a guard, he's got to be able to stay in front of him. But if he can, then you're going to be with all that length that that you guys brought up earlier in the pod. By all that length, you'll you'll be able to deny passing lanes. You'll be able to make it hard for guys to get to the basket, and you'll make it hard for college players to be able to shoot over you. Because let's face it, this isn't the NBA. There's not a lot of college basketball players to where this is why I kind of like drop coverage a lot of times in pick and rolls. If you run a pick and roll and you drop drop the big man down low, even if you're switching, you're sagging off the big man a little bit. If, if you can stay in front of the guard well enough, a lot of guards in college basketball aren't going to be good enough to just shoot a jump shot over you off a dribble. To where if you can do that effectively, then Louisville can be a really good defensive team and take advantage of all that length. And that's really where – You'll get positionless basketball. They'll be able to take advantage of that. But it is really, really on the defensive end. So you're, you're really getting into like the, the discrepancies between maybe an NBA level team or a really high level college basketball team and just like normal power five college basketball, right? With the, yeah. the talent and size discrepancies and how you can kind of put together a team to play positionless basketball. But does positionless basketball work with the rules of college basketball? And that's kind of been the, the, the real concern that I've had in the back of my mind you know, in the NBA, they have wider lanes. They have a three-point line that spreads out the floor a little bit more. And the rules are a lot different where they can't really play zone defenses. It, at Louisville, I've, I, like, I just picture playing a Syracuse or playing a Carolina or a Kentucky. And I feel like they can just pack it in a lot more and they can do a lot more to disrupt a, a quote-unquote positionless basketball roster uh, like, like Louisville is probably going to put out on the floor this year. Uh, kind of get into a little bit in your in your mind and get as, as basketball nerdy as you want. Like, what, <laughs> Yo, I love that. <laughs> how, how does that how does that impact this this roster this season? That that's where it goes back to like defensively. I don't think that's an issue for Louisville. Like I, I think as long as you can stay in front of of quick athletic guards, then you, you'll be fine on that end. You'll be able to switch and you'll be able to do a lot of those things that you said and take advantage of a lot of those things defensively. But that's what it goes back to what I talked about at the start. You got to be able to shoot the ball. You need to be able to shoot the ball and break someone down off the dribble. And those are the two things that can break all of that because there's not a defensive three seconds in college basketball. 
teams will zone you in college basketball. Well, to where you got to be able to break those things, you got to shoot the ball to drag the deep, to draw the defense out and open up the lane. And you got to be able to get into the lane to create shots for yourself and others. And that's what L. Ellis is the one guy that's shown flashes of being able to do that last year, has really been able to do. And that's where you're going to need to see if, again, Kamari Lands, Mike James, De- Devin Ree, can they can they possess one, two, or both of those skills? Because if you can't, then Louisville becomes incredibly pre- predictably easy to guard. Because you can do exactly what you just said, Presley. You can say, okay, we know they're going to throw the ball in the post to Sidney Curry. We're going to hard double the post. We're going to make sure our guy stays attached to Devin Ree on the opposite end. We'll maybe worry about L. Ellis, but if he shoots a three, it's whatever. Um, and and other than that, we know that Roosevelt Wheeler, Jalen Weathers, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, all these other guys, they may not be threats to shoot the ball. And if they're not, then everyone's going to be focused on Sid Curry, except for the one dude guarding Devin Ree. And that's and you're not going to be able to run an offense like that because you got to be able to get the, your best player the ball and give him the space he needs to operate. And if Louisville doesn't have the shooting or the ball handling or the playmaking, there's not, there's not an answer that fixes that. There's just not. I mean, that's, that makes you incredibly predictably easy to guard and it's going to be a lot of hard sliding for Louisville in the offensive end. That's where you got to get out in transition and live in transition. But then that goes back to, well, can Ellis hold up for 40 minutes every game doing that? That So it's just, there's no way around it for me. That's why I think the most important thing in college basketball these days are playmaking and shooting. And it just goes back to a very large circle from what I was talking about at the start is if Louisville doesn't have that, we can talk about positionless basketball all we want. And yes, that I think that could really, really help them on the defensive end. They could be a really good defensive team, but you got to put the ball in the bucket to win basketball games. And if Louisville doesn't have guys to stretch the floor and draw, draw effort away from Sidney Curry to where Sidney Curry has space that doesn't has space to operate that they're not going to be a good basketball team. It really is as simple as that. Yeah, I think one guy that I I really have my eyes on who can become that secondary playmaker uh, is Kamari Land. You're talking about a guy who's a top 40, top 50 player in the country. And uh, every year we see a guy who is, you know, not a five-star who blossoms and becomes a a one-and-done player in the NBA draft. Now, I'm not saying Kamari Land is going to be that, but he has the makeup to do that, right? He's a guy who's 6'8", by the time he probably steps foot uh, on the court for Louisville, he'll be close to 200 pounds. So you're talking about a really good-sized guy. He can shoot the ball. He can handle it. He can play inside. Can he pull up and hit that jumper? Can he become somebody that's a point forward, right? When you're talking about secondary ball handler, that's cool and all. Like you said, Jack, anybody can dribble a basketball. We can go out there right now, and we can all practice dribbling 90 feet, right? But can you do something with that? Can you make a play? Can you beat somebody off the dribble, pull up? Can you make a pass? Can you see over a defense and swing the ball cross court? He's a guy who I think – you know, with development from Kenny and the staff can really become that. And that's a guy who you say, okay, if he gets to your ceiling of what he could be for the season, well, now Louisville has just probably exceeded their win total of what they probably were, maybe one or two, three games, right? And then you kind of say the same thing with Jalen Withers. If he can get that NBA game going, maybe they can over-exceed expectations. And and it's a lot of what-ifs. It's a fun game to play, but it also leads to the likely scenario that we're sitting at home in March and April, uh, maybe by choice, maybe not by choice, 
Uh, and we're going to continue to look back as the last tournament win being in 2017. I have two kids, two kids that have been born in that time have not seen a damn tournament win. Right. And you're talking about 2016 since it's been the second weekend of a college basketball tournament. So there's a lot of room to get to that point. But if guys can exceed their their ceilings, uh, we can definitely talk about things differently, uh, maybe by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, Kamari Lance had a lot of good things coming out from him, uh, from, you know, UofL. We don't get a lot from UofL under Kenny Payne right now. From what, But from what we have heard is that, that everyone seems to be really impressed with Kamari Lance. And he's a guy that can say, okay, if, if he's a 6'8 dude that can run an offense, that would be huge for Louisville. That's, you know, what they need. They need guys that can facilitate and play, make and run an offense. And that would be something where, as you said, Jacob, if he's able to do that and able to do that at an ACC type level, you can give Louisville a couple extra wins. You can say, okay, maybe instead of being 15 and 17, they're 17 and 15. Maybe instead of no postseason at all, you're in the NIT. And I get it. We scoff at the NIT around here because, you know, I mean, we'll take it at this point. Right. Yeah. If there was ever a year though, for a feel good, Hey, NIT, we can, uh, we can have the cheap tickets so that the common people can get in, which, which was still still such an interesting narrative from uh, the David Badgett year. But, but, but if there was ever a year, okay, let's get 10,000 people in the lower bowl, the Yum center and just celebrate postseason basketball and NIT run to the, to the quarterfinals. Like, this would be the year for that. It really would be. And and again, I, I want to puke a little bit when I say that, but that's just the situation that that Louisville is is in. But if Kamari Lands can be that, that would be huge. Jaywin Withers, the conversation around him is so interesting because obviously if you remember going into last season, it was, oh, he's going back to his natural position. He's going to play on the perimeter. He's going to do all these great things. And it just didn't work out. And after this season, going into the next season, it's, well, he's going to get back on the block. He's going to do what he did his freshman year when he was all ACC. And he's going to get back to basics, all these things. And now you don't have any guards. You're like, well, maybe we're going to try him out on the perimeter. Again. <laughs> right. So, so it, it's it's very much an enigma there to where I don't really know what to think of him because we don't really know what he's going to be doing on a given night. I will say Last season, he shot 75% of his shots were from behind the arc, and he shot a very low percentage from behind the arc. So I don't think we need to see him shoot a whole lot of threes again, no matter where he is playing. But if he can hit a mid-range shot, that would be nice. If he can if he can just be a, be a good player, no matter what that role is, because we don't know what role he's going to be playing because we've heard two very different narratives on that, depending on what they feel like he fits in best for the team. That would obviously be really, really good. Brandon Huntley Hatfield's an interesting guy from the standpoint of people from Vince camp have said he wants to be a guard, which is interesting because that's not what he did at Tennessee. And I get it. He does have, uh, have more guard skills than, than the normal uh, 6'10 dude. And he's a guy that wants to be the, the modern big man, the stretch for those types of things. But I don't think you're running a uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield at, at, um, at point guard anytime soon. I wouldn't say that either, but, but going back to what you said, Jacob, it's just a lot of what ifs. And, and if you can get one or two of those, you can be, you know, again, a solid NIT team. If you get all of them, that's the home run. You can be an NCAA tournament team, but that's asking a lot to hit, to have four, five, six, seven, what ifs all go perfectly your way. That's just, 
it, it tried to hit, you know, a, a, a six leg parlay at the casino. Yeah. Uh, you, you may, it, it, you may get, you know, three or four of them, but it's hard to get all six or seven to, to really hit the jackpot. That's what Kenny Payne is really trying to do at this stage. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think you just gave Jacob literal heartburn when you said Brandon Hunt, Huntley Hatfield at the garden. <laughs> like he's not Brandon, Brandon Huntley. <laughs> Donchich over here, all right. He's 6'10, 250 pound guard, man. If yeah, I was about to say, dude, we're about yeah. to be the story of basketball in 2022. Yeah. Danny Manning did say, and um, I, I think it was when he was on with Greer on, on uh, Floyd Street's finest, uh, the Field of 68 pod. I, I, I do remember him saying that that there may be some lineups where they play a 6'10 guy at, at shooting guard, and he would be the 6'10 guy. You see, I mean, unless, <laughs> unless it's Jalen Withers, that's that's the only other option, so. yeah. Yeah, exactly. maybe, maybe, maybe JJ Trainer. I don't know. We I just, we, talked about JJ Trainer. I mean, God forbid just, we get into that conversation we, again. I've got this like weird obsession with weird basketball lineups. Like, what's the weirdest five that you could roll out? The what's Louisville the can run a bunch line? of no, I know. Yeah. So, what's the weirdest five that Louisville could put out on the floor and realistically play a game? Right. So, if you're talking about uh, you're talking about Hatfield at point guard, okay, right. If yes. That's in this lineup. L is not on the floor. <laughs> yes. Well, who are the other four players that make up? All that right, it's lineup, it's right? got to be. Hatfield, Lands, Trainer, Wheeler, and Sid Curry. Lord, yeah, I mean, that'd be fun though, right? That's a fun I mean, lineup, man. It would I think be, that'd be a good defensive team. It it feels like a like weird NBA my player thing where you're just like trying to tank so you can get a good draft pick. Like, I've definitely been there. Man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. And there's also times in 2K where you literally just put out your longest, tallest players and you're like, I'm just going to, you know, double triangle alley-oop every single time and just yes. see what happens, you know? And that's the game plan for Louisville. Just double tap triangle all year long, throw alley-oops, dunk, and who knows, you know? Maybe you'll you'll score 60 a couple of times and get lucky. I don't know. I don't see this team scoring more than 55 points a game, 50 that, points a game. Yeah, yeah. You got and, your and episode go, title right there, Double Triangle Alley-Oop. Double Triangle Alley-Oop as many times as you can because if not, I don't know what you're going to do for points this season if they're doubling Curry like that because you just – look, here's the thing. At, at the end of the day, this is where we're going to get to really kind of judge Kenny Payne, and I understand Louisville's rebuilding. I understand that it's a – obviously his back's kind of up against the wall with the entire punishment kind of looming still. But at the end of the day, Kenny Payne has been applauded for being a talent developer, right? Well, yeah. here's your canvas. It's not pretty, right? It's not, we're not handing you a multi-million dollar painting on your first time, right? The perfect canvas. It's kind of ugly. It's bumpy. Uh, you know, it's got its lumps, but there's definitely some exciting pieces to it that you can develop. And if Kenny Payne can get the best out of this group, you say to yourself, oh, just wait, just wait until he can get a DJ Wagner or an Aaron Bradshaw, you know, these guys in 2024 that they're looking at that are five-star you know, top 20 players, wait till they get that team. But if not, and you see this team kind of fall flat, well, then I think you start to kind of question. And obviously it's year one, like I said, all those things. But what does the development side look like here? And that's, Jack, the next question I have for Louisville is, who's the, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but who's the player that you can kind of ceiling wise say we can go and we can just literally pull everything out of him. Is it, is it got to be L Ellis because he's playing 40 minutes a night? Or is there another guy on this team that you think that there's room to develop so much that Louisville can be that much better because of it? I'll give a name that we haven't talked about too much, and it's someone that I've been intrigued by just because of his athleticism uh, since he's been on campus. And it, it, it's going to be tough in some in some respect because, you know, he's going to be playing behind Sidney Curry, more likely than not. But that is Roosevelt Wheeler. I'm excited to see what Kenny Payne can do with Roosevelt Wheeler. You look at him, and he's just 
you know, he's built like, like a basketball player. I mean, he's super long. He's super athletic. He, he's, he can jump. He can do all these things that you want, but he just, last year he didn't have the mental side of things, things, uh, which, you know, happens for a lot of freshmen. That, that's kind of how it goes. But I remember they'd play him early in, early in the season. And this was even before Chris Mack was back from the six game suspension. And he, they Louisville would run offensive or defensive sets, whatever, you know, side of the floor they would be on, on, on uh, when he was in the game. But when Louisville was on the same side of the bench, you could see Mason Faulkner, Malik Williams before he checked out and three, four guys on the bench, assistant coaches pointing and yelling at Roosevelt Wheeler, Wheeler, here's where you got to go. Now go here. Now go here. And they were having to, during a game, show him and tell him, hey, this is where you need to be at this point. And it's like, okay, he's not ready for college basketball yet. That, that to me, to where anyone that had the conversation of, oh, Rose has to play a lot of minutes, I'm like, you can watch that for two possessions and know he's not ready for college basketball yet. But you bring in Kenny Payne, who is known as the big man whisperer and has done all this great work that he did at Kentucky under Cal Perry with all the big men he's had and coached there. And you say, okay, what can he do with a guy that is built and from everything we've heard is a really good work ethic and, and to be, to turn him into a really good basketball player. I mean, we don't see the full fruits of that labor this season. Maybe we see it next season type of deal in the 2023, 24 year year. Gizzy might just be stuck behind Sid Curry for most of the year this year, which you know will happen. Sid Curry is a pretty good basketball player, but, but I'm really excited to see because he, he fits the mold of the type of guy that Kenny Payne and Danny Manning have had loads of success developing throughout their, their coaching careers. Yeah. And he's kind of more of a modern big. So I, I really like that take, especially because, you know, my, my main concern about Sidney Curry has been all along uh, during this off season has not been his offensive play. I mean, it, we haven't seen a better finisher around the basket for, for Louisville since, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think maybe Chinano Wanawaku, but I think before that you go back to maybe like a Samardo Samuels or something like that at his position, it's very rare that we've had a guy who can finish around the bucket like that. So that's really exciting. But, but the defensive side of the ball, he was a liability last season. And yeah. I think that Louisville just had to live with that. I just think that he brought so much good on the offensive side that uh, opposing teams that had a solid big, you know, like a, like a Duke or a Carolina, like they just kind of took Louisville's lunch last season. So that's definitely something that'll, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, it, it, as far as the other thing that kind of got my wheels spinning just a little bit, uh, Kamari lands at, at the point is something that I, I haven't stopped thinking about since you guys brought it up. I did go back and look at his, his at his recruiting profile and his number one uh, kind of like big thing that they pointed out that he really needs to work on was his ball handling. Uh, ah. so. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We got plenty of ball handlers. Yeah, he's, he, he's an elite slasher is what they say. And, and uh, a good, well, that's still helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a yeah. good, good three level score. He's an elite slasher, which is, is great. Uh, not just in basketball, but, but in a lot of other uh, facets of life. So uh, that's great. Maybe as a future, as a chef or something as well. Just yeah, one yeah, last thing on, on, on Sid Curry's. I know I talked yeah. about it earlier about, you know, Louisville trying to be this positionless basketball team defensively switching and all that stuff. Sid Curry was absolutely atrocious, as you kind of hinted at, at there, um, uh, not just in the post, but defending the pick and roll last year. He couldn't stay in front of anyone. When he would high hedge, he couldn't get back to the big in time. He was really, really bad at, at, at 
uh, defensively, especially when he was put in space. So that's going to be the next step he needs. So he's going to need to limit turnovers on the offensive end as well, become a little bit better passer, especially since he's going to be facing a lot of double teams. But right. defensively, and this is where, again, you need Kenny Payne, Danny Manning to work with him on this. And as he continues to lose weight and get into better shape, he's going to naturally get a bit better at as well, is he's got to be a de- better defender, especially in space. Because you saw it last year. Year once he started playing major minutes, teams would just put him in pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll, after pick and, roll yep. and Louisville didn't have an answer for it. No, nope. no, nope. I mean that that that's a great point. I, I am fascinated to see what better shape uh, looks like with that guy because I mean it, it, I, I know I'm sure you heard a little bit, Jack, but you know people re- that are really close to him around the program have nothing but good things to say about Sidney Curry and especially his work ethic. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I talk, I go into this all the time when I talk about Sid. That's that's the number one thing for him is he came in. I mean, look, he, he had to trim the baby fat. Rick Pitino would have been just absolutely irate at this man. It, it'll be a fascinating thing to see for sure this year because uh, he was he was an absolute monster last season in a lot of facets facets of the game. If he could really just tighten, tighten up the screws and be just an average defender next year, uh, he could be really solid. Uh, but but I, I did want to get just just a little bit into just like college basketball on on just the whole spectrum of things because we have what 360 something teams out there quick maybe just off the top of the dome top five teams going into this season uh maybe not even your top five preseason rank but top five teams uh that are uh have to have the best chance of cutting the nets down at the end of the season i was gonna say the five who can win a title right because every year it's like there's you know however many to start but how many can realistically win a title There's three that I look at right now and I say, okay, I can for sure see them as title contenders. The first one is Gonzaga, because I know Andy and Shubal are already mad at me for saying that, but 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 when you bring back Drew Timmy, you bring back Razier Bolden, you bring back Julian Strother, you bring in Amalekai Smith. They're going to be really good. Whether or not they won a championship or not, I'm not sure. But I think they have as good of a claim as anyone to be number one. They're going to play a really, really tough non-conference schedule, as they always do. I'm pretty sure they're in the PK-85 this year, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I think they might get Purdue and um, in that, and then either Duke or Carolina, one of the two schools I'm trying to remember in the final, if they get that far. far. So I think they're, they're really going to challenge themselves in the non-conference, as they always do. They're always going to be a threat they're probably going to be the number one overall seed in the tournament again and people get mad because the west coast conference and all those things but i really think that they're going to be a legitimate threat again this season number two i got north carolina the biggest question for them and really for the acc in a lot of ways is okay was the ncaa tournament just a facade and this is kind of the same thing we sat and talked around with UCLA in the Pac-12 last year. We'll focus in the more the UCLA, North Carolina aspect of it for now. And UCLA was so, so, so incredible going on that first four to final four run last year. The question was, okay, did they peak? Can they keep playing like that? Are they good enough to replicate it and sustain it throughout an entire season? And what we found out was, no, they weren't. And and were they a good team? Yeah, did did, did a COVID pause hurt them? Yeah, probably. Did uh, Johnny Juzang not being healthy uh, for large parts of the year hurt them and maybe prevent them from getting to that point again? P- very possible, maybe even probable. But the fact of the matter was they were a very good team, not a great team last year. That was like a four-seam loss in the Sweet 16. That's fine, fine year, whatever. But for Carolina, it's the same question. Are they UCLA? Or are they going to be able to actually sustain that success, be consistent, and be at the top of college basketball again, bring back four of the five starters and bring in 
Pete Nance than Brady Manic, which I'm not in. I'm not as in love with that move as a lot of the national people are. I, I do have to backtrack a little bit of what I've initially thought of because my whole my my biggest issue with the move was yes, that makes you a lot better defensively because Pete Nance is a way better defender than Brady Manic. He's Brady Manic as great as he is offensively, as great as he was stretching the floor. He can't guard a chair. It, 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 it just is what it is. But Pete Nance is a much better defender. But what worried me with him was, okay, you're going to have two guys that are back-to-the-basket post players in Baycott and, and Nance. And I'm like, how would that work? And honestly, I'll be honest, I may be wrong on that because I looked up, his, up Nance's stats. It's like, okay, I'm going to prove this. I'm going to look at all the crappy three-point shooting he's done over the years. He was 45% from three last year at Northwestern which was stunning to me. And he took 93 threes. So it's not like he was even, you know, a really small number of three point attempts. Now, is that a mirage? Was that a one-off type deal? Because as his previous three years at Northwestern, he was never above 27%. I don't know, but he was 45% for the year and 46% big 10 play. So he's proven he can hit threes and hit threes against, you know, pretty good comp- power conference level competition. So I, I back off that a little bit, in terms of my criticism of Pete Nance, but but overall, I still think North Carolina with the other four guys, they're going to be really, really good. They should be really, really good. Yeah, that's the question is again the consistency that we talked about UCLA. Then the third team that isn't getting talked about nearly as much as the other two. And as an IU grad, it does pain me a little bit to say this, but it is Houston. And Calvin Sampson, I really, really, really love that Houston team. They bring back if you for if you guys remember, they lost their two leading scorers in December last year. Yeah, yeah, and they still made the Elite Eight. Yeah, and they get one of those guys back, Marcus Sasser, who should be a first team All American, who is phenomenal. They bring back Jamal Shedd, the point guard, who is an incredible defender and really grew into his offensive game late in the year last year. They bring in a top. 15-ish, I believe, recruiting class. And Galvin Sampson always has that team as an incredibly great rebounding team and, a, and an incredibly great defensive team. You want more positionless basketball? They play positionless basketball as well. Well, especially on the defensive end, they'll switch a lot. They'll harass you defensively. And they have the scoring to pair with that defense from Sasser and from Shed, especially to where they are as much of a national championship threat as any group of five team outside of the J1 Suggs Gonzaga team a few years ago. I said group of five likes football, but non-power six team team that anyone's had since then. I really think if anyone's going to be the number one overall seed other than Gonzaga, maybe Houston because they'll run through the AAC. Wow. Any, anybody else? Can you round out a top? I mean, there's, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, uh, Duke's going to be loaded. The question for them is going to be, how do they mesh all that talent? How does John Shire do? Uh, How does Jeremy Roach um, uh, play point guard wise? Can he continue what he did in, in the tournament last year? Uh, Kentucky, Kentucky's definitely not a perfect team by any means, but anytime you bring back a unanimous national player of the year, that doesn't happen very often in college basketball. You, you gotta respect that for sure. Kansas has, has, added some pieces Villanova will probably take a step back there's no one from the Big Ten that's worth a damn in terms of trying to pick a national champion if if Arkansas would have gotten Jalen Williams back they would have had a real case to be preseason number one without him they're still a top 10 team but they're not nearly as good as they would have been 
Then uh, UCLA should be really good. Again, there, there's a lot of different teams. I'm sure Baylor will be great because Scott Drew, I, I just, I, I've just bought all the stock into Scott Drew in terms of him being a really good coach. It's three years in a row. He's had a one seed. He won a title two years ago. And I just, I'm just expecting them to be a top five, top 10 team. At this well, we're we're going to be biased yeah. we're, around here. We're going to be biased towards Scott Drew and, and, and uh, Eric Musman. Cause that's all we talked about for like a full month. Nice. Uh, I feel so, like they're part of my family. We talked about them so much. I feel like I've had you know Scott I mean? Drew over yeah. to dinner. I feel like we did a podcast together. Like that's yeah. right, right? You know, yeah, they I, an I intimate pushed, member. I pushed incredibly hard. I, I I really wanted Indiana to hire Scott Drew, and then mm-hmm. obviously that didn't happen. And you know, I'm happier than I thought I would be with Woodson. But but I, I obviously thought Drew would have been a perfect fit at Louisville as well, especially when you consider the job, the rebuild job he had to do at Baylor. He knows how to build a program up from the bottom, which is what. Kenny Baines having to do at Louisville. Musselman, I like. I don't love as as much. I, I don't know, man. I think I think a lot of it means just prejudice towards I hated his teams at Nevada. I thought they were completely overrated and just not good. Um, I think he's kind of he, he's kind of bugged that narrative with Arkansas the past couple of years. He's had some really legitimately good teams, but the guy I really loves with Nate Oates. I love Nate Oates and the way yeah. he plays the modern basketball. They're not going to be as good. This year they lost a couple of those guards that that were so talented last year. And but you know at some point it, it's it's Alabama basketball. You're not going to be what they were in 2021 right. every year where you're going to have right. a two seed and a Sweet 16. You're just not going to be that at Alabama every year. Hey, well look, uh, anytime you can have the, the anti Mitch Hannigan uh, muscle and cake, <laughs> I'm all for that. Absolutely, <laughs> we love we love to to you know rain on on uh, Mitch's parade. Always. Always. Uh, good, good dude. Good dude, though. Yeah, love uh, Mitch. B- before we get out of here, uh, I got to pick your brain. Best James Strebel story you got off the dome. Any, anything, any uh, non-radio moments that that come to mind? All right. So, so this one, this, this story's been told on air chat. Actually, Strebel was there for this, but Strebel's not the one that makes this story this story. So, back when I was interning at the station, I would, I would come in. And do part time work when he when I was home over the summers or like during winter breaks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was running the Louisville post game show for the U of L UK game, the Jordan Warrior year, okay. and and I, I was just producing it. Um, uh, Rummage was hosting, so we were all in the conference room watching the game. I was the only person there that was actually cheering for Louisville because Rummage wouldn't watch the game with Shrebel and Ensa <laughs> and, and he wanted to do it from home. But you know what? I mean, it's the rivalry. People do their own thing. It's, it's whatever. But I'm sitting there watching. It's me, Shrebel, Ents, and Process. And, you know, I, I get there right as the second half is starting. I watch the first half at home with, with some friends. And Louisville's, you know, down double digits, whatever. It's not going well for Louisville. And then they make that run in the second half. And, and when I got in, into the studio, it was all celebratory. It's like, oh, Kentucky's going to win big. They're all celebrating already. They're all happy. Then that room just gets quieter and quieter as, <laughs> as, it, as Louisville comes back. And finally, because I'm trying to be respectful, you know, I, you know I'm not, they're all cheering for Kentucky. I'm not going to be an ass or anything. But Darius Perry hit a three to tie the game, and I just chuckled. <laughs> and and ends just goes leave and i was like i was like what and he goes leave the conference room get out i don't want to watch the game of a louisville fan i'm like what <laughs> and, and treble just has this look on his face like what the hell man what are you doing <laughs> and then make banishes me to 
to the studio to watch the rest of the game because he didn't want to watch the game with me. Unbelievable. Shreeple's legitimately, though, he's what, as much as he's a blowhard on air, and, and he is good at being a blowhard on air, he, uh, he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet meet off air and he, he's such a he's such a good guy but but it's another one so so i i co-hosted the arkansas the uk arkansas post game show with him this past okay. year okay he stood in the same spot watching that game for the last 18 minutes of the game and would not move from that spot he wouldn't sit down he wouldn't drink water he wouldn't eat food he wouldn't do anything because he felt like that was the good luck spot and when Arkansas finally, you know, made the play, whatever it was, I think J.D. Note went off in that game. Mm-hmm. Game put him up by like six with, with 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 about ninety seconds left. He just yells, "Fucking damn it!" And then just <laughs> and then just uh, sits the, down. Leaves and, the and, spot. Yeah, he leaves the spot, and that's when he admitted defeat. <laughs> yeah, nah, Shabel's great, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. That's what we love about you guys is that. You know, it's it's always fun to rivalry on air, but at, at the end of the day, we're, you guys are good people, and that's that's why uh, that's why we you know like to tune in. So if you are interested in catching Jack on the air, uh, ESPN six eighty from three to six Monday through Friday. Um, I know you guys are kind of like stretching for content today because I look, went to check out the podcast, and uh, there one of the main topics was uh, can what, what what happens when you pee in, in the Dead Sea? I think yeah. The- so 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 it was Bruce Pearl. And, and, you know, Auburn's going on a foreign trip to Israel. And okay. and for those who don't know, I'm Jewish. So I, I enjoy this, <laughs> yeah. that, that they're doing a foreign trip in Israel. And during his presser, before they go there, he talked about how how he told his players, don't fart in the Dead Sea. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and so I sent that to Andy and Trebo last night. Andy got a laugh out of it. He's like, let's play it on the air tomorrow. And I was like, all right. And so we talked about it. And basically, because Andy wanted to know why 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 can't you fart in the Dead Sea? And and I, and basically the theory is when and I can't believe I'm saying this twice <laughs> in one day, but here we go. <laughs> is when when you fart, you, the air gets sucked back up your ass. <laughs> and because there's so much salt in the Dead Sea, all the salt goes straight up your ass. <laughs> and it hurts like a bitch. <laughs> that's incredible. So, so yeah, so that's why you should not fart in the Dead Sea, and that kills you know ten minutes of content on uh, on a on a random Wednesday in July. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, that see, this is why we have you on here because this today you had to talk about farting in the Dead Sea twice, uh, but we, we also gave you some time to just nerd out on some basketball thoughts. Uh, but Jacob, any thoughts? Final thoughts before we get out of here. No, I mean, I, I am uh, currently on uh, Expedia looking to book my trip to the Mediterranean so that I can fart in the Dead Sea. Because now I'm just really curious on what it's like. To, <laughs> you don't want to do it. I will I, say, well, you know, I will say going say. to Israel is fun. Go to Israel and eat as much shawarma as you can for however long you there you are there because shawarma is absolutely magical. But, yeah, do not fart the Dead Sea. Go to the Dead Sea and float the Dead Sea because the Dead Sea is cool and it's fun, but don't don't fart the Dead Sea. It's one of those things, man. I don't know if I can take your word for it. Got to figure that out on my own. But, no, absolutely. Well, don't blame me. That's right. I will. I, damn it, Jack, as I fart in the Dead Sea. Uh, but it's been – it's incredible to get to talk different perspective, especially when you can do so with somebody who talks about so many different programs from Louisville, Kentucky, IU, to all the college basketball landscape. 
it's going to be really interesting couple of months here because uh, I think this honeymoon phase that we're in will only last so long when the L start to pile up. And look, I don't want to sound like the eternal uh, negative person here, the negative Nancy of the show, but I, let's be realistic that we're going to see some losses this year. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. You're all going to have your all show. You'll have quite a time this year. I'm sure oh, talking yeah. about Louisville basketball, not being very good. Shrevel's going to have fun with that one. And Bunch I know of it- bombs. Andy will push all, every right button that he needs to get him to set off because there's nothing he's better at than doing that. <laughs> we, we need a, we need a Kenny Payne lost those games sounder for you guys before the end of the season. <laughs> That's going to be the goal here. Um, but listen, Jack, thank you so much for coming on. We got to have you back on again uh, sometime, even during the season. So from now on, Jack, tell us where we can find you real fast. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Grossman97. Obviously, the take Andy Sweetie, James Shrebel, 3 to 6 daily on ESPN 680-1057. Uh, college basketball tonight, that'll be back for a second year. So, yeah, that, uh, that'll run every Tuesday throughout the college basketball season, 6 to 7 on 680-1057, where I basically – nerd out for an hour every week about college hoops and I have an absolute blast doing it. So <laughs> feel free to listen to any of that call text, any of those. And if you care at all, Indiana basketball post game shows, I'll be doing those again as well. Maybe a few football ones as well, depending on how it matches up with Louisville, Kentucky, you know, everything's on a Saturday with football, but yeah, pretty much uh, Jack Grossman 97 on Twitter.